Well, now that we've heard uh, some God stories, let's take a few minutes to uh, look forward to 2024 and our theme for the year. This is what it is. It's live wisely. I love the graphic that Emily did here. Live wisely. We're hoping that we would live wisely, and I want to unpack what that really means. We hold here at Temple that God is sovereign, that God is in control, but we also hold that human beings have responsibility. And so the God stories today that you heard were God's work. And then living wisely is our work, our cooperation with God. God always initiates the work in our lives, and then we respond to him in those works. We, we are to continue to follow him. And it's tempting to live on the summit of God stories, to chase spiritual experiences. Such a pursuit causes us to sense that God is not near when we don't feel him or don't sense that him is working. We learned over the past few years, as we went through COVID, to have a theology of suffering, to, to learn to love God and to acknowledge and to believe in God in the good times and also in the bad times. See, the non-mountaintop experiences are dangerous. Think about climbing Mount Everest. Do you think the majority of deaths occur on the ascent or on the descent after you have gone up to the summit? Is it the ascent or the descent that's more dangerous? It's the descent. It's the back half of life, after the God stories, after the highs, where we can forget what God has done in our lives. And this is why we took time today to tell some of these God stories to remind us. Maybe today you walked in here and you were very discouraged. You're downtrodden. It's a reminder, God is still working. Do not give up. Continue to keep your eyes and your, your, your gaze on Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus gave his life for us. He died on that cross, and he rose again. And when it was what we call Good Friday, which looked like a bad Friday, three days later, what happened? Jesus rose again. That's what we described as we, we uh, saw the witness of these baptisms, which were so amazing. They were being buried in the likeness of Christ's death, that their sins had been buried with Christ and been raised to new life, as Pastor Kyle had mentioned. And so we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. There's a real temptation. You're going to hear lots of temptations these next few days to commit to New Year's resolutions. The problem with that is they don't work, do they? Usually we maybe get to January. We see this if you go to the, 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 the gym and there's lots of people and it's crowded in the first few weeks of January. But by February, right, it's only the regulars. You know this. Well, I want to read to you um, a better description of what we should do when we make commitments to God and that we try to live wisely. Henrik Bullinger was a good pastor and a better father. He was born in 1504 to a priest who embraced Reformation views. Young Henrik loved Martin Luther's writings, Menkalathon's books, and the study of the Bible. And at the age of 27, he took the place of slain Swiss reformer Zulrich Swingley as the pastor of Grossmuster Church of Zurich. 
Bullinger continued Zinli's practice of preaching through the books of the Bible verse by verse. That's what we endeavor to do. We try to go through the books of the Bible. We're looking forward to, in the new year, we hope to go through the book of 1 Corinthians as we start the year. Goes on to say, his home was open from morning till night, and he freely distributed food, clothing, and money to the needy. His wisdom and influence spread across Europe. No one was more affected than his own son, Henry. When the young man packed his bags and set out for college in Strasbourg, Henry gave 10 rules, so 10 rules for living. Here's number one. Fear God at all times, and remember that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Two, humble yourselves before God and pray to him alone through Christ, our only mediator and advocate. Here's the third rule. Believe Firmly that God has done all for our salvation through his son. Pray above all things for a strong act of faith in love. Fifthly, pray that God may protect your good name and keep you from sin and sickness and bad company. Pray for the fatherland, in other words, your home country, and for your dear parents and for the spread of the word of God. Number seven, be reticent. Be always willing to hear more than to speak, and do not meddle with things you do not understand. Wow, that's a good one. Eight, study diligently. Read daily three chapters of the Bible. That's a great practice. I, I'm going to commend this to you. There's nothing that could help you grow more spiritually than to read God's Word every day. And if you don't have a Bible, just put up your hands right now, and we'd love to give one to you. This is yours for, for you to keep for free, okay? We're going to be jumping into God's Word in a moment. So just keep your hand up, and there'll be one that will come to you, and you can have this Bible for free. So read daily three chapters of the Bible. Number nine, keep your body clean and unspotted. Be neat in your dress, and avoid, above all things, intemperance in eating and drinking. And ten, let your conversation be decent, cheerful, and moderate. The advice was taken, and Henry Bullinger became, like his father and grandfather, a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These rules that we just read go beyond just the 12 rules that Jordan Peterson has put in his book. They begin, I love the first one, it begins with fearing God. That's how we live wisely. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, if you have your Bibles, or you can see it up on the screen. Again, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give one to you. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and knowledge. Now kids, small and little here today, this is not a call to be scared of God. That's not what we're talking about. I want to unpack what it means to fear God in just a few minutes. But notice the emphasis on the beginning of knowledge is found in fearing the Lord. Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner teaches the beginning is the first and controlling principle rather than a stage that one leaves behind. In other words, think of it this way. We don't initially fear God and say, oh, I got enough wisdom for this situation for this struggle, for this crisis, and then we stop. That would actually be foolish. We continue, that's why it's the beginning of wisdom. We continue to fear God. We continue to seek God in all things. In fact, that's the definition of fearing God. We seek God in all things. 
We seek God in all things. Wisdom is a daily experience as we continue to fear God. Fear of the Lord recognizes total dependence on God for everything, including knowledge and wisdom. How we can understand life without knowing the most fundamental truth about it. Wisdom comes from God. It's the core maximum of the book of Proverbs. The quest begins with the fear of the Lord. What's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Well, one writer puts it this way. Knowledge tends to focus on correct understanding of the world and oneself as creatures of the magnificent and loving God, while wisdom is acquired skill of applying that knowledge rightly, and I dare say and add, timely. The reason that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of both knowledge and wisdom is that the moral life begins with reverence and humility of our maker, of our creator, the Lord God, our redeemer. We are going to him to find the instruction manuals for life. He is the designer and creator of our world. This phrase, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is a repeated phrase in Proverbs. And Proverbs 9.10 expands on Proverbs 1.7. You let the Bible interpret the Bible. You let the Bible explain the Bible. And here's what we see in Proverbs 9.10. Here's what we read. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So if you want wisdom, if you want true knowledge, knowledge that will last, you go to God. This is where you find ultimate knowledge. This is the where you find insight. So in the few minutes that we have left, let me have left, let me try to answer a few questions. First is this, is this. A, why live wisely? Why live wisely? Because living wisely, it's first and foremost seeking God in all things. Write that down. Living wisely is seeking God first and foremost in all things. Wisdom is the personification of the structure, plan, and rationality that God built into the world, one has said. Most people talk about, well, Mother Nature, but it's actually Father God who has created this world and gives us hope, gives us insights. Creation not only points to the evidence of intelligence design, but so much more to a very a powerful and engaged creator who loves you, who created this world with intelligence, but also with love and with wisdom. Consider how wisdom was needed to lay the foundations of the world. Proverbs 3 verse 19 says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth, and by understanding he established the heavens. That's Proverbs 3 19. Wisdom, therefore, is both older than the universe and fundamental to it. Understanding was needed to put every celestial body, the, the stars and the, the sun and the moon, in place. And everything on earth in its perfect place. And that brings us to where you're at and where I'm at today. You're here for a reason. Because God in his wisdom has put you in that position. And once we acknowledge that and are content in that, it helps us so much. Not a speck of dust exists without God's wisdom. That's what we read in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 26. The, the wisdom of God produced the first, first in us, the dust. And, and so you and I don't exist without God's wisdom. It might be helpful to define wisdom. 
We're defining wisdom not just as earthly wisdom. Let me give you an example of earth, earthly wisdom. I need, uh, I need a kid to come up here. Not too shy. All right. I see that. Come on on all the way up. I love pastor's kids. <laughs> They're great. Now, come on up. Come on all the way up, all the way up. That's great. All the way around here to this table. Now, I know your daddy loves to work with wood. Okay? Now, I'm just going to ask you, do you think you could take this screw and just screw this in this wood? Can you try that? Kind of hard, isn't it? I'll hold it. It's so hard. You're doing good. But there, that's the hard part. Now, let me just show you a little trick. Can I show you a trick? This is something my dad taught me. This is what I call earthly wisdom. Petroleum jelly. When you have a, a screw that's hard to get in, you put a little bit of Petroleum jelly in that? Now let's see. Go the other way. Ah, see it's gripping it. Very good. Excellent. Can we give you, can we give you a hand? You don't have to do the whole thing. We can do it later. She's a little determined, isn't she? <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much. You can go back and sit with your parents. Very good. So that's, that's what I call earthy wisdom. And other earthy wisdom is how to cook or how to handle a, a colicky baby, right? There's wisdom that we have that applies to our daily life. And that's helpful. In fact, nowadays we don't really seek the advice of those who are older, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, parents, we go to what? YouTube, right? <laughs> I actually think we're more impoverished because we, don't, we miss out on the relational aspect of that. Yes, it's quicker. I'm hoping that the next generation will go back to our grandparents and, and actually seek out type of, that type of wisdom. So there's earthly wisdom, but I'm talking beyond that. I'm talking about the fact that we go to God and we, we, to live wisely is to actually seek God in all things. And sometimes what that means is you go, God, would you please bring somebody into my life who could help me to understand how to do this situation? That happens to me all the time. And you are such a blessing as a church. And I'm like, I don't know how to fix this at my house. So I'll call one of you and like, do you know what to do here? And they come over and they help me and they teach me. And so this is what we do is we seek God in all things. This brings me to the second question. Why should we live wisely? We can easily say that just living foolishly may be fun for the moment, but ultimately leads to destruction. That doesn't fully answer the question. See, if we live just for today and not for the future, that's foolishness. But living wisely and seeking God in all things and knowing that he's not finished with us yet, that's living wisely. Fools live for today. The wise live for the future. If living wisely is first and foremost seeking God in all things, then we should live wisely because we get to know God in profound ways. Remember what we read earlier in Proverbs 9, 10? That wisdom is finding knowledge in the Holy One. It's insight. 
maybe even a more concise verse is in Proverbs 14.27. Proverbs 14.27 says this. You can look it up in your copy of God's word. It's up on the screen. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Maybe you came in here and you feel so defeated. I would remind you that as you seek God, you will find wisdom. You will know how to get through this day. He will give you life again. He'll give you joy. The fear of God is a fountain of life for you and for me as we see God in all things. One of the things I would encourage you to do is to read a book by um, Jerry Bridges called The Joy of Fearing God. I want to tell you a quick story about a young soldier um, who grew in fear. And this will maybe help us understand what, what fearing God is all about. The story began years ago when Butch McGregor was only 18. He stood trembling as the drill instructor screamed in his face, calling him a stupid imbecile and a few other choice abusive terms. Butch hadn't done anything seriously wrong. He had just somehow managed to get out of step with the rest of his platoon as they marched across the drill field. But the slightest infraction, the most insignificant mistake, could cost Butch 50 push-ups or 10 laps around the drill field in full combat gear. Only a few days earlier, he stood at attention, holding his rifle straight out in front of his chest until his arm could stand it no longer when the drill instructor chewed him out for being such a weakling. This wasn't exactly what Butch had in mind when he talked to the recruiting sergeant just after graduating from high school. He had heard that the Marines were looking for what? A few good men. And at six foot two and 200 pounds of solid muscle, he thought he qualified. Butch was intelligent enough and had fairly decent grades in school, but his real love was football. He played inside linebacker in his high school team, and he loved physical contact. So the Marine Corps, with its reputation for physical toughness, appealed to him. What Butch hadn't expected was how much mental and emotional abuse he would experience in basic training. He wasn't prepared for the verbal and intimidation and humiliation he and his fellow recruits suffered every day. He was four inches taller and 40 pounds heavier than the sergeant now screaming at him, but he had dared not move a muscle or blink an eye. A humble but distinct yes sir or no sir was the only acceptable response. Such is life in the Marines at boot camp, where merciless drill instructors try to mold undisciplined young Americans into men and women who obey orders without hesitancy or questioning, a trait absolutely vital in combat. In this atmosphere, the drill instructor takes an aura of being just less than God. His every word is law. The slightest mistake or infraction is caught and punished. Very quickly, the new recruit learns to stand in awe of this man who wields such authority and power over him. Butch was no dummy. He soon learned to respect authority and to promptly um, and correctly carry out commands. Near the end of his basic training, he was actually beginning to enjoy the challenge of this tough, disciplined life. Then something completely out of the ordinary happened, something that normally does not occur during basic training. The commanding general of the recruit training base decided to conduct an inspection of all recruit platoons near the end of their training. A sort of disciplined pandemonium broke out among the drill instructors. Instructors, Standards were pushed to even higher levels. Rifles were meticulously cleaned. Boots were polished to a mirror-like sheen. Barracks were well scrubbed and beds were tightly made. When General Collins and his entourage entered the barracks, Butch stood stiffly at attention. The confidence he had gained while adjusting to marine life quickly drained away as the general paused in front of him. 
Fear gripped him as the general carefully looked him over with cold, steely eyes and asked him a question. Butch's mouth was as dry as cotton as he sought to answer respectively. He experienced a profound sense of awe as he, a lowly, humble recruit, stood in the presence of his Marine Corps generals. Following basic training, Butch was assigned to a divisional motor pool where he soon became recognized as a skillful and responsible driver and was rewarded with promotion to, to corporal. Meanwhile, General Collins was promoted to Major General and became the commanding officer of Butch's division. Because of his reputation, Butch was eventually selected to be the general's driver. Butch had mixed emotions about this new assignment. He relished the confidence shown in him. And on the other hand, he remembered those cold, steely eyes on that memorable inspection day back in boot camp. Awe once again gripped him as he reported for duty the first day. Sergeant McGregor, as Butch now was called, soon discovered that behind those steely blue eyes was a no-nonsense general who was tough but fair. As he listened to the general's conversations with other officers riding in the car, Butch was often amazed at the general's evident wisdom and military skill. He also noticed the increased morale and esprit de corps that the general's leadership gave to the entire division. His awe for the general actually increased, though its dominant aspect was no longer fear but respect and admiration. He could easily envision General Collins one day being the commandant of the entire Marine Corps. Of course, Butch had always shown respect toward the general. That was absolutely essential to his job as a Marine. But now he felt respect. He generally admired the general for both his personal character and his military leadership. And one day he realized that he had even begun to like the general, and he was fairly certain the general liked him. Despite this growing personal relationship, though, Butch never lost sense of awe toward the general. He was always conscious of the vast difference in rank between them. Even in casual conversation, he always addressed the general as sir. In the course of time, war broke out, and Butch's division was shipped out overseas. As the general's driver, Butch was never involved in actual combat, though they often traveled in dangerous territory. Then one day, the car struck a landmine. General Collins was thrown clear of the car, but was seriously hurt when his body slammed to the ground. Butch, meanwhile, remained trapped in the front seat of the burning vehicle. Despite the general's own injuries, and at the risk of his life, he managed to pull Butch out of the car to safety. Both men were quickly evacuated to the field hospital. General Collins soon recovered sufficiently to resume his duties, but Butch remained in the hospital for weeks. Despite the pressures of commanding a division in battle, the general often stopped by to see Butch and check on his progress. Butch was surprised at the general's obvious concern, but what really astounded him was the realization that at the scene of the accident, the general had literally risked his life to save him. As he lay in bed over the weeks, Butch frequently called with amazement the day General Collins had rescued him from a fiery death. And the general's continued visits made him realize the rescue was not simply a spur-of-the-moment heroic act, but was prompted by the general's heartfelt concern for him. Butch often pondered the question, why would a two-star general in command of a Marine division in battle risk his own life to save a mere sergeant? He could readily understand one enlisted Marine risking his life for his buddy on the battlefield, but a general for a sergeant? How could this be? He slowly came to the conclusion that despite their vast difference in rank, the general genuinely loved him. Now, in addition to a sense of awe 
and respect and admiration, Butch began to experience love and gratitude toward the general. He longed for the day when he could once again be the general's driver. He determined that he would be the best driver any Marine general had ever had. But he also realized that however much he and the general loved each other, they would never be buddies. It would always be yes sir and no sir relationship. That's how both General Collins and Sergeant McGregor would want it. I love this story. It tells us about the, fade, fade, the stages of fearing God. Respect is foundational. We need to respect God. That leads us to reverence. Where we revere God when we're in, in awe of him. And lastly, that should lead to a loyal relationship where we run to him. So this brings me to the third and final question for today. What is living wisely? Living wisely is taking what you know about God and applying it to each situation in your life. There are three stages in, in growing in the fear of the Lord, as we've seen. Stage one, we will respect God's position over us. If things are not going your way, you've got to say, God, I'm going to respect that. You are sovereign. You are the Lord. David, King David, respected God and the extension of his authority. Remember when David was in a cave and, the, and, and in comes David's father-in-law, King Saul, who was actually trying to kill David because he was so jealous of David? And David fears God to the point that he will not harm King Saul, even though it appears that God has delivered his enemies into his hands. Hopefully we learn to respect and to obey God's rules and that we respect his authority. And maybe today you came in here and you are feeling hurt and there are people who have hurt you. I remind you of God and his authority that you would respect God's position over us. Stage two is that we will revere God's greatness of character. David admired God and the evidence of his attributes. And hopefully today, as we heard some of the God stories that today, that we have, we have led you to admire God more and go, wow. And if you, are, if you are just new with us, if you consider yourself a spiritual person, religious person, maybe you're a hostile person to God, maybe you just came for the baptism, I would just remind you, what are you going to do with what you heard today? Is there a God? Has he shown himself to you today? Stage three, and you can tell that some want me to be done, is that we will run to God because he loves us. We'll run to God because of, he loves us. We go from respect to, to reverence. Maybe we just see ourselves as worshipers to a point where we actually are full of love and we run to him in all things. And let me just read to you Psalm verse 18, or chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. This is what David says about God after he had respected God, after he had revered God. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. David was amazed at God and the effects of his actions towards David. So how do we become wiser? Seek God in all things, his word and in his world. 
Respect God, revere God, run to God. And we can do this by practicing some things this week. Maybe just one of these will be, let me, as we close, let me challenge you with this. Meditate on the scriptures. Read God's word every day. Think about what he is saying to you. Think about the attributes of God. Go for a walk in creation. Meditate on the scriptures. In a few weeks, I'm going to be challenging particularly the men in this church. All the men who confess Jesus Christ as Lord are going to be invited to a Saturday mornings where we gather and we're going to, we're going to talk about what you've learned in God's word that week. It's going to be a commitment. We're looking for not just a few, but a, a lot of good men who confess Jesus Christ as Lord, commit to reading God's word daily, commit to avoiding looking at things lustfully, and that they would love their family. You're going to hear more about this, men. So meditate on the scriptures. Take a trip. Take a trip to the Creation Museum in Kentucky. You will be blown away with seeing how God had created this world and, and some understanding of that. Research further on things like Answers at Genesis or Institute for Creation Research. I think starting with this understanding this world it, it produces so much wisdom in what God has created. Read books on creation. Here's a few to choose from. You can take a picture of them. There's the Genesis flood in six days. Creation evangelism for the new millennium. Ken Ham. Those that refute evolution. We're not talking about microevolution. We're talking about macroevolution. These are a few of the books that I would encourage you that have helped me in my life. Watch videos. Unlocking the Mystery of Life or Disney's Earth or the Moody Science videos. Those are really strong things that will help you to have a deeper appreciation of God and his world. Students, university students especially, high school students, start your studies recognizing that God is the reason why you're studying. If you're an engineer, be blown away with how everything fits together and that there had to be a design and, and think about how God is the great designer of all things. For other of us who are more aesthetics, contemplatives, go for a, a walk outside, reflect on the beauty of God's creation and his design. It will kill grumpiness and infuse joy in your life. So that's a warning right now. If you want to stay grumpy, just stay at home. But continue to walk in God's creation. So which one did you pick? Meditating, taking a trip, researching others, reading a book, watching videos, while going for a walk. Living wisely this year will be, will be something that I believe at the end of this year will say, I got to know God better as I sought him for wisdom. You seek God in all things, and you'll grow in respect for God, in reverence for God, and you'll run to God for your relationship with him. And why do you do this? Because the ultimate wisdom is found through Jesus Christ who died on that cross and who rose again. And as we will be studying in 1 Corinthians 1, it's foolishness. It's foolishness to the world that just a human being died on a cross and we still worship him 2,000 years later. It's foolishness. Unless it's not. Unless he's not just a human being, but he's the God-man. 
God's son sent to earth to die for us and for our sins so that we might have life. And we don't just live for today, but we live for a future. A new heavens, a new earth. That's why we're to live wisely. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this great hope today. I thank you for all the stories that we heard. I thank you for um, this opportunity to, to live wisely, to keep our head in every situation, to not, to not just um, believe the lies that we are we're worthless, that we only matter for this, these few short years on earth. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded that you have created us for all eternity and that we are to live out of the wisdom that you have provided. And we take great comfort in the fact that if we ask for wisdom, you promise and you will grant it. And we pray this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen and amen.